What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. My guest today is a visiting lecturer in broadcast journalism at City University of London Goldsmiths, the University of London, and someone who has been in the media industry at all stages for over 25 years. He is an ex-colleague of mine and a longtime friend. Uh, I had a really great time catching up with him. It's been some time since we sat down and talked. He was actually the guest on episode 100, but the audio equipment was so bad back then that it didn't pick up any of the conversation. So we rehashed some of the stuff that we discussed before and covered things like coronavirus and fake news and journalistic integrity and a whole range of subjects on uh, media, journalism, and, uh, and the media industry as a, as a whole. Um, it was a great conversation, like I said, and it's always great to catch up with Jim. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as well. One thing to note is there was a point made during the conversation where I stated the that China was the biggest funder of the WHO and how that potentially compromises the integrity of the World Health Organization. There is actually a correction to be made because... Um, after all contributions and deductions are taken into account, China is not the largest donator um, to the WHO. It's actually America. So I just wanted to correct that uh, ahead of time so when you do hear it and if you question it, you'll know that we've already addressed that. So um, I just wanted to get that clear because we try to be as factually accurate as possible. Um, but otherwise, it was a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, please welcome Jim Grice. Shut up and sit down. <laughs> so how you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're we're all okay here. We're sort of ticking up, ticking over really. Everybody safe uh, hasn't uh, hasn't hasn't come too close to home. No, I um, I had a really nasty bug um, last week of February, just into the beginning of March. Really? I was supposed yeah, I was supposed to be running a half marathon um, first week of March, and I had to pull out a bit. I've never had to do that before. Oh, I wasn't well enough. You might have mentioned this to me when we were talking before. Yes, I think I think I did. Yes, I was, but I I had really a really bad cough, absolutely wiped out, really sore throat, but I didn't have the high temperature. So I thought, I obviously haven't got it, but then subsequently people saying you can have it and not get the temperature. So. Well, this is it, right? You don't have to be like mm. sort of five for five on the checklist. No. But yeah. if they're not testing, how are you supposed to know? Yeah, so I'm, I'm now wondering whether I did have it because I've got the other symptoms as well. I was absolutely exhausted, absolutely flawed. could like barely get myself out of bed every day. The missus as well, yeah. about, she had a, about a month ago. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't we – didn't, have any testing or or mm. recourse to do that but mm. it, same same sort of symptoms that you're mentioning there just wiped yeah. out um mm. just you know yeah didn't really have the fever per se but had everything no. else yeah and was just completely fine. ko'd so mm. uh, i mean it you know it's all speculative right and unless mm. unless we're testing each other and unless we're yeah, testing ourselves it, yeah. and it's just yeah. yeah it's just crazy to me man so how are the kids yeah, holding up they're all right. Uh, my oldest one had all her um, exams cancelled. So she's getting ready to do her GCSEs and um, she was going to go to a different sixth form and basically she got called it. They sort of said that they were going to shut the school and they called in all the people in her year the next morning and they basically said, that's it. So she was like, well, she came home after about an hour and said, uh, I've just left school. <laughs> so what does that mean? Does she like, does she pass off of where she's at? Yeah. And yeah, so she done her, she done mocks. So they're going to give her predicted grades, and so they're going to give her the grades that they were predicting based on her performance in the mocks and her class, uh, like her, her classwork, which is going to do her, which she did, she did fine in her mocks. So she's going to be really good. So that's, that's well, that's a positive then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be, it's been very, very disruptive for her because she and she had a job. She had a Saturday job in a record store, so she, which she's been furloughed from. So she's kind of like a bit now a bit lost. What? Yeah. <laughs> so like that's obviously the disruption from like from the younger kids or or you know kind of mm. her age as it were. Yeah. But obviously we haven't done an introduction and for mm. for the purpose of the podcast we tried to yeah. do one of these ages and ages ago 
And yeah. because I had such terrible basic audio equipment, yeah. it just didn't work and I couldn't fix yeah. it. Um, yeah. But you were saying, obviously, you had to pull out of the marathon. Yeah. But when we did one of these originally, didn't mm. you have to do the same thing from a knee injury? Or did you I run did it? it? You did it with a knee injury. I did it. I did the London Marathon with a knee injury, yeah. Next year, you'll be all clear, mate. You'll be all clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still not 100% all right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and are you, can you run on it now? Yeah. You can, yeah? Have you been getting out yeah. and doing that? Is that kind of your yeah, primary yeah. form of exercise? Yeah, I, I still, I'm not going out every single day because I pick up stress injuries really because of my age, I guess. So I've been um, staggering it out a bit so I don't get injured and taking it a bit easier. Because I don't want to be like, yeah. Yeah, no, I've been doing the same yeah. thing because I was, I was yeah. a bit of a maniac. Like, I'd go to the gym sort of four or five times a week. Yeah. And what I realized was, I was actually constantly just like in an exhaustion phase. Mm. I was half expecting to see a big multi gym behind you. When you did this. <laughs> it's all in the backyard, man. I got my battle ropes all out. I got the kettlebells all out. I got all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So, Jim, just if because, like I said, we tried to do one of these before. Yeah, it didn't work. Mm. Tell the people listening who you are. Tell them what. Tell, tell them. Tell them what you what what you do. Yeah, um, my name's Jim Grice. I'm a lecturer in journalism um, at a couple of universities in London. Previous to that, I worked in UK media industry for 25 years, TV, radio, online. Excellent, excellent. And you and I have known each other now for, what, six years? Yeah. Something like that. And like that, yeah. yeah, I mean, you were, you were a big part of me learning this industry and learning a lot about yeah. like the you know kind of the nuts and bolts of video and and and, and news gathering and all of that stuff so um mm. it was a shame that the first one didn't work out because it was a good conversation yeah. but uh, yeah it was, you know it? It, it's still it's good to pick up again um yeah you were talking about how your daughter and her kind of her years been disrupted yeah you being a lecturer how has that translated to your to your work and how is it like affected the students progress are they doing similar things with kids in your classes or how, how is that whole situation working? yeah there's it's been a variety of different approaches actually because I'm, I'm i think i'm unusual because i teach in, at the moment teaching four different universities at the same time so it's uh, so i get to compare and contrast is it four now? different approaches yeah jeez where are you at now yeah. uh city westminster university of east london and goldsmiths wow yeah it's amazing bounce around <laughs> so sorry moving, I, I, moving target <laughs> yeah i cut you off mate i cut you off so tell, tell me about the approaches that that, that are well, being taken most on them have done, it's been similar to what they've done with the secondary schools is it certainly the, the priority has been to look after the students that were due to graduate whether they were about to finish their um bachelor's degrees or their master's degrees and yeah. so a lot of the resources have been put towards those so therefore they've scaled back quite a bit of the work for certainly people in the first years quite a few of them they've taken the, we've taken the approach that they haven't had to complete all of the coursework and the assessments they were due to complete uh, and they've been graded on previous work or, um, and also attendance and right okay those kind of things and so that's kind of gone into the mix for um and the various institutions are doing varying different slightly different takes on that some of them are being a little bit um stricter with some of the students and asking them to do to resubmit and redo some of their work if they felt really been okay poor. others have not done quite as much of that sure um you can see it you can call it either way a lot of the students that i'm looking after with various courses that say are to their final year have been given quite big extensions on their work Okay. So okay. They, and we've switched. For example, the students I was teaching very practical journalism skills to. Mm. So in other words, they were going out and they were making uh, three-minute um, news videos. Right. For example, we had to we had to stop that because obviously they couldn't get people to interview and of things course. like that. So we we rehashed it. So some of them have done Skype interviews, but um, and also we've had to turn some of them into practical written exercises where they basically almost like turned it into a, like a work diary by saying, well, you know, I've done this so far. We done I had the interview lined up with person X, which then got cancelled because of lockdown. So we're going to do this. This is what I, we were going to film. This is some of the stuff we'd already filmed. And they've sort of done it like that. So, so specking like it out, giving you a synopsis yeah. of what it would have been. Yeah. 
Yeah, gives a you an idea, finished right? it actually. A couple oh, really? of couple of uh, yeah, a couple of very organised students actually, when they thought this was coming, got really ahead and actually got everything done. So more play to them. I think interestingly, I think probably see the people that are probably going to do quite well in their in their careers. <laughs> this more interesting aptitude test. Yeah. I think there's a, certainly uh, about half a dozen students that I've thought, yeah. You're impressive. You 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 get your stuff together and you get out there and get it done. So, Important uh, in a in, in a business where deadlines are tantamount to success, right? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> they've got it. <laughs> My work is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your students, Jim. Tell me, like, tell me who they are. Tell me why they're coming to you. Why? What, what are they interested in? Because obviously, I've got some thoughts on what media and journalism is these days. We'll yeah. go into that. But like, mm. t- tell me about your students. What, what's the makeup of the students? Like, what, what are they What are they coming to you for? Do you find that they want to be part of traditional media? Or is there this shift of learning the skills so they can be independent? Um, a bit of both. Yeah. But I've actually been surprised at how many students are interested in traditional media roles. Now, I've, I have been genuinely surprised by that, okay. particularly when I often do this um, with, um, with with classes that I teach, particularly when we're looking at radio and television, because I'll often I'll often say just the thing in the classes say, oh, who watched any TV news last yesterday, last night? Yeah, we're doing something the next morning. I might get this often a bit of an sh- embarrassed silence, and there is no eye contact being made in the room <laughs> at this point. Um, and uh, they know sort of open it up. You know, you know um, last couple of days, you know, a couple of people put their hands up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, I said, look, I said, look, I'm not being, nasty. I'm not trying to catch any of you guys out here. Um, this is, I think, this is always an interesting, like, unscientific little experiment. Yeah. So, how many of you watched any TV news in the last three weeks? Sure. And you might get about half the hands go up. Okay. Um, and then if you change it, if I change it slightly, say, okay, well, how many of you have watched any BBC News? And then quite a few of their hands will go up. And they say, well, and then also because they've watched quite a few clips on um, Instagram or on Twitter, or they've gone to the BBC News website, or they've gone to Sky News website, or they've watched various other things. And so you find that they, they are, but they aren't consuming. They aren't. Con- they don't consume media in a traditional way at mm. all. Um, and but then they would still say, well, "What do you want to do?" And they say, "Well, I'd like to work for Channel Four News, or I would like to. I want to be um, a chief correspondent on the Sunday Times." Okay. And you still say, "Well, great, you're great, but it's not. Are there are those jobs going to be there?" Well, that's you, the question. Yeah. yeah. Are they it's aiming at, like, Are they aiming at a, at a at a dying breed of of yeah. roles effectively yeah. because of the way the media landscape yeah. is shifting? Yeah, exactly. A lot of them say they still want they want to be um, sort of anchors, you know, TV news anchors. Okay. Quite a lot of them say they want to be um, they want to be sort of like um, col- columnists for newspapers. And sort of think those are the kind of things. There's not going to be so many of those around. In fact, no. there's even not so many of those around now. No. Let alone a couple of years. And what you and what and what do you what do you advise them on in that in that respect? Do you have an advisor? I suppose you have an advisory role as as a lecturer yeah. in some capacity, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. So yeah, what, what what's the what's the advice? Is it to is it to keep plowing that path, or is it to say, hey, these roles might not be around these these jobs actually might mm. not exist by the time you're ready to get into them, or by the time you ascend to that level? Yeah. Mm. Do you give them sort of advice on on what yeah, other options um, are available? Well, I I emphasise to them said it's vitally important that even if they, if that's their ultimate objective and aim, it's fine to have like a good high aim to aim high at something. Of course, that's, that's great. But um, what they need to think about is how are you going to get yourself in a position to have a stab at something like that. In order to do that, you have to be in the right place in the right organisations. To get into the organisations, the only growth areas in traditional media organisations are online and digital. And if we're talking online and digital, we're also talking to a large part video, as you, both you and I know from 100%. the work that we've done together. Yep. Um, so, and so therefore, this is, you need to have these skills. These skill, this isn't oh, some kind of waste of your time or an obstacle or you're not jumping a hurdle here in order to get what, what you want, which is what quite a lot of them think. You think this is going to be your entry into the industry and give you a chance of going at what you want to go at. Yeah, it's not but a leapfrog. It's a necessity, right? Exactly. You're gonna, you're gonna, if you're going to work on digital desks, on national newspapers, websites, 
TV uh, news organisations, that is what the best way that you will get your chance. You need to have the skill set in order to be able to deal with that, make the most of that. Then you could be in a position to do something else. Although I also say to them, I mean, in my own career, when I, I mean, God, when I started working in journalism in the, um, was it 93, 94? Um, there wasn't, a, you know, the internet was, you read, read about it, well, it was mostly you're still reading science fiction novels or well, basically course. based on the beginnings of it. A hundred percent. William Gibson and people like that who were talking about the idea of big moving big data and stuff in this unreal online world. And that was that was being based on some stuff that was happening then, but it was still very much seen as science fiction, wasn't it? Well, yeah. So, I mean, uh, even so tough, even yeah. even Back to the Future didn't have the internet in their uh, no. in, in their future. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really was yeah. kind of science fiction. But I guess yeah. the I guess the good thing about the internet, in terms of some of that advice that you're giving mm. those students, is yeah. that the internet really just allows almost anybody the ability to yeah. launch, you know, a platform call themselves a media outlet or a news outlet mm. and start doing the work. That's yeah. obviously got good and bads to it because it increases the competition, which is good. So we don't have those yeah. monopolies within sort of those traditional news outlets, mm. but there's a quality assurance issue there as well. Right. Yeah. So mm. what, what, what are your thoughts in terms of like the internet kind of upping journalistic integrity or kind of dropping the ball on it? Oh, it's really hard, I think, to answer that question in a like a conclusive way. I, I can't yeah. really think of a can't think of a hundred percent answer either way. Yeah. I think I could list some of the good things. The good things is that it has made um, a lot of consumers of media a lot more savvy uh, because people can see how to do things themselves mm -hmm. or see how things are done, starting getting an idea of it, which is a little pull in the curtain back scenario. Exactly, which is great. Although, having to, as a little aside, you know, certainly looking at stuff for the last couple of weeks, all the focus on the government's um, press conferences yes. around the coronavirus it does make me smile. And a lot of people that I follow on social media, including people who work in very experienced journalistic positions, mm -hmm. clearly don't understand how, the, how these things are put together. My God, which does make me smile. Which does make me smile. You got to laugh, think, right? Yeah. You got you got to <laughs> yeah. laugh. I, yeah. I saw I saw one yeah. last night, and then I mm. think it happened the night before. Yeah. And bless them, they didn't even check the internet connection. Yeah. You know, you couldn't hear a mm. word. And it's like, sorry, we don't have time for do overs and things like that. It's yeah. just like that's one very, very small aspect of it. You know, mm. it, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. But sorry, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so I think in some ways that is that has been good. I think there's some very good stuff that's done. I certainly think that so when something happens, people go out with their phones now and they film, take photographs, and you get good sense often of events and mm -hmm. things that are happening. And I think that that has been that has been great. I think the danger, some of the stuff that we've seen is problematic. Is of course the the fact that um, truth becomes a a commodity, and, and yeah. therefore it is which is fought over in um, fought over on the, in Facebook groups yeah. in particular, and uh, and also by very much in little echo chambers on online, and it gets very and stuff doesn't uh you know stuff doesn't permeate out of that because nobody challenges a lot of the things that are said so i remember something this just reminded me when we talked last time mm. it's like recapping what we did before <laughs> yeah. when we talked last time one of the things that was big last time was a lot of stuff that was going on in um, portland and oregon particularly a lot of the antifa yes. versus right-wing groups and one of the things that had come out and become almost like a universal truth was the cementing milkshakes yes that's right yeah and of course th uh how quickly we forget about milkshaking. Yeah, exactly. God, is a happy, what a happy, what a innocent, happy world that was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting worried about people with cementing milkshakes. So true. Um, yeah, um, but uh, of course the thing is, you can't put cement. You put cement in cement doesn't quickly growing cement doesn't work in milk. Yeah, what you get. <laughs> it, it might make it a bit more sludgy, but it certainly will not turn it into something like a concrete missile. Yeah, and that was just that's just nonsense, you yeah, know. And yeah. that's there is a point and a lot of lot of facts are always up for interpretation and 100%. debate but ultimately you will ultimately hit something like this actually guys this doesn't work yes this, you can't do it yes but that doesn't stop it being accepted now as a universal truth absolutely all, i'm sure if we did a poll of um people from different political persuasions on uh, social media and so we asked them about this i see huge numbers of them would say that yes this happens this is what happens this has happened absolutely just, yeah. so, so that stuff is that stuff is worrying is when you get 
the when you get people who are able to shout loud, shout nonsense loud enough, then that's a big problem. Although, to be honest, as a, having worked as a journalist um, for a long time, I'm not always convinced that um, legitimate, new, you know, bona fide, if you want, news organisations have always been completely blameless when it comes to sort of peddling nonsense. No, absolutely so think, not. And I think a lot of stuff that ultimately often does get reported as a verbatim fact at the time turns out just not to be true. And sometimes there's not any particular reason for that there's not even it's not a, malicious or, or, uh, no, or just, intended just, to do something else yeah. so maybe there's that cliche of like, the fog of war you know maybe sometimes yeah. it's just is situations are massively confusing uh of remember one that stuck in my mind certainly from my kind of my last sort of major journalism role which was when i was working for london live news yeah. i was doing the um, i was head of the news programs for, for them um when we obviously we covered Grand, the grenfell fire very mm. extensively um, and something that emerged from the Grenfell fire um, was it's always just puzzled me actually to this day there was lots and lots of reports of a child being dropped from a quite a considerable high four, five stories above right. being dropped from a balcony and being caught yes saved by people below now nobody that was all reported everywhere you know, that got reported because lots of people said they saw it and that right. was reported absolutely as verbatim but subsequently, when things have been gone through, nobody's ever been able to prove that existed. That actually happened. But it's reported. There's never as been fact. any corroborate. There's been no corroborating evidence to do with that. I mean, I find that anybody watching this, if I'm if I'm mistaken here, and there is there is the evidence out there, and I've just not seen it. I would love, love to see it. But, but I heard that I've story too. It, but yeah. you didn't see any footage. You never heard from no. you know the parents of the child or the person yeah. that caught her. Or mm. you know, it's it's one of those yeah. things that you know yeah. on, on a more crude basis before the internet. Obviously, there mm. was the whole. I don't know if it ever made it over here. Probably did. But there was a rumor about Richard Gear, and mm. uh, and rodents. And that mm. was that was a you know that was a, a rumor that yeah. then permeated so many people's kind of thought process that when you mentioned him yeah. that it basically became fact. And Rod Stewart, yeah. right? It was like that yeah. that thing. I don't know if you remember what what I'm talking about, but I don't need to go I into, do, into I detail say, I about think it. it was, yeah, I think it got so that got like culturally readjusted in the UK to be read something in the UK. I think. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Obviously, when the people, maybe people trying to spread this didn't quite get the the impact they wanted, so they better make it perhaps somebody put perhaps a bit more in the uh, gets a better response from British people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's which I think tells you all you need to tells you all you need to know about that, really. Well, well, but exactly. it is interesting. Like, you're right, though, because they, they, there always has been this kind of hinterland of rumor that has always existed. For sure. And if the uh, newspapers got it wrong in the past, then all they yeah. had to do is put two column inches as a retraction yeah. somewhere in the paper and that was it yeah but now if you get called out on your bs then yeah. it's going to be spread all over the internet you're going to get you yeah. know your, your character is going to be attacked and you're a liar yeah. and it could be yeah. you know it could be an innocent mistake or you could be one of these salacious mm -hmm. people who just likes printing garbage the yeah. the mediation of which side that falls on mm is hard to interpret and like to your yeah. point about the echo chambers and people really mm. operating in their silos that mm. discourse that needs to happen that debate that fact finding yeah. that exchanging of ideas happens less and less because everybody yeah. just wants to hear reinforcing ideas of what they believe based yeah. on you know political persuasion or whatever it may be and that's yeah. kind of the order of the day right now which mm. stops constructive dialogue from happening yeah you know so I guess yeah, I guess what it comes down to though is 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 journalistic integrity at the end yeah. of the day, right? Um, I mean, that's hard enough to maintain just as a moral compass position mm. of being, you know, that Walter Cronkite type of you know steadfast yeah. kind of guy yeah. who you can trust mm. in and, and rely on. Yeah, yeah. He's never going to lie to you. Mm. That's 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 our guy, but. Yeah. We're living in a completely different environment now because mm. you've got so much competition coming in the way of, you know, clicks and ad revenue mm. that really there is a battle, in my opinion, between clicks and journalistic mm. integrity. And yeah. I mean – where does that go? Where 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 does that path take us? Does it take us to the point where if you're factual but print a, an article that doesn't get any clicks, mm. your job could be on the line? Yeah. But you put something salacious on, even though it's not factually accurate or hasn't mm. been double sourced and so on and so forth. Mm. 
but it gets all the clicks and you can make 100K a day off the ad revenue on that page, you're sticking around and the other person's not, right? So how, yeah. do, how, do, how do you fight that? Exactly. Well, one of some of the things I think has been pretty disturbing in the UK is that certainly the, um, the printed press has started to lurch towards the behavior of um, online partisan reporting. 100%. Because all, um, I was I used to share the, the company I used to work for, we used to share the building and um, were part of the building owned by the Daily Mail. Right. I remember seeing going in and used to go up the lift in the morning, you used to go up the escalator into the building in the morning and they'd have the front pages of the paper would be put on big video screens. And I must admit, when I saw the enemy of the people thing for the judges, I, I really did nearly fell. I nearly took a nearly took a step back and then a tumble <laughs> down the escalator to be honest with you because I was I was pretty shocked by yeah. that. I thought, whoa. Uh, that's that a step is, far. Yeah, that's a kind of that is that's like new this is new new territory. Because this isn't this is absolutely news as opinion. This isn't a reporting of a well, there was obviously a basic story there. I mean this isn't but this wasn't a reporting of the story. That was a absolute opinion yes um based based upon the story very much the kind of the paradigm of traditional news telling i think or like we regard as kind of respectable news that's probably a wrong word to use but i think you know what i'm trying to say mainstream traditional news thing yes very much switched on its head done in a way that you would expect i mean that to me was something like that was kind of almost like, like it's almost like the say like something like the drudge reported like walked in the door at that point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was like Wow, that, that, that was that was very different. Then we've seen um, massive changes, and I think a lot of the daily newspapers. I mean, I think all of them actually well, have changed considerably. I mean, the Daily Telegraph is a, is another one that has changed. I mean, I'm just picking on two on on the right here, but the, the Telegraph has been interesting because it would always would always be said that the, the, the Daily Telegraph was always the newspaper that had the best news coverage of the um certainly uk uk international news coverage the standard was the best bearer. in the telegraph it was the standard bearer so people who would read um it would often be even like say people who would be people who'd be on the left would often read the daily telegraph it would almost like a sort of badge of honor would say i read the daily telegraph yes. because this is the best news coverage yes. and this is because i'm such an informed person and man new york world, times for america same thing yeah sort of thing and it and it's thrown that away so spectacularly um to become a again an echo chamber for the views of its readers i mean because always had it always had the retired always did seem like some kind of retired colonel was writing its uh, opinion pages <laughs> and it's on points of having it's like i've got a coronary but isn't that by outrage but but, but the, the rest of the paper was, well there was always this clear separation there was always like the editorial if you like the yes the opinion side and then there was the reporting of the news yes and ritual the two to have meshed, or one really superseded the other, is to that degree. Of, I did find I've had found shocking over the last. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like the lines were blurred, but yeah. now they seem to be completely intertwined, mm. and you really have a hard time with a lot of these newspapers and news outlets and media outlets mm. even disseminating if there's a line there anymore. Yeah, because the competition is such where. You have to write to an echo chamber because that's your audience that's embedded yeah. already. So you have to yeah. – you can't step outside the lines of what your audience is expecting or they might go over to your competitor in the blink of an eye and you might never yeah. get them back. So yeah. in terms of in terms of that, and yeah, we've covered a, a couple of kind of the, the right side of the aisle papers. Mm. And I mentioned the, you know, the NYT, which is – you know, mm. abhorrently on the left these days. Um, mm. You know, I mean, the fact that they claim to be journalistically unbiased and then mm. they come out and declare their support for specific presidential candidates was just mm. was just ridiculous. But there's a number of examples that I can give. Yeah. But the point mm. the point that I wanted to, to get to and the question that I wanted to ask is, do you ever recommend to your students like this is an outlet that's untouched by this? this bias, this echo chamber kind of, you know, what do you want to call it? This, mm. this sort of, you know, you're catering to an echo chamber. This is our thing. Yeah. Do you, do you recommend to your students, like, this is a journalist here that you can rely on because their standards and their integrity is, is sort of unblemished over their career or check out like the, like the PA, I remember the PA, right? Mm. That was for me, that was a news agency that reported the news without opinion wholeheartedly yeah. 
Are there any yeah. others like that that you recommend to your students to, to use as sort of a standard bearer these days? Not really, to be honest. <laughs> um, no. No. Um, because <laughs> um, I think I often would, would want to present that position in, slightly, in a slightly different way because I think okay. what I would, I always will do, and I think probably my colleagues will always do when we're working with, so we're working with the students, yeah. we want to encourage, we want to sometimes show the nuts and bolts of how things work. And I think, I think the idea that you can now get um, away from a position of any kind of publication that doesn't have some kind of mm. uh, agenda, I think is just is just impossible. So I think you have to, what you have to train students is to look out for it, be able to understand it and recognise it. And also, if you're working as a professional in an organisation, you have to be aware of the values of the organization of which you're working for so if you are so working true. and i do encourage you often is when we do particularly when we do online journalism i encourage them to think about when they if they want to do a particular story for like as a piece of project work yes i always ask them think about obviously if you want to do the story because it interests you that's great and the big the bigger the project the better because if it doesn't interest you and you're doing it Heaven help everybody else. Yeah, uh, but you know you're going to do. I know you're going to do a much better job on it if you're genuinely interested in the subject matter you're covering. Of course. But also think about where you're. Also think about what where this could be conceivably be published. Who would put this online and why? Right. Who does this? How does? What kind of audience are you looking for? Is this particularly aimed at people under the age of thirty? If so, where would you go? Where would do you think? Who do you think would publish it? Yes. If you're looking for, would it be to, if you're looking for something? If you think it's a story that would work well for the demographic of the male online, you have to be aware that it would have to fit. It would have to fit broadly fit in with their probably with their political views. Correct. Or their political or the probably the political views that are carried mostly in the newspaper need to be reflected in the piece that you. They, they need to be aligned. Yeah, they need to be like not even like to tot- I mean, put a tot- you put dissent put dissenting voices in it, and certainly achieve try and achieve some kind of objective balance mm-hmm. by I know I don't think we talked about this before about you know, there's, there's, this is always becoming an increasingly pro- problematic paradigm but the idea that you can have you'd have two sides of an argument you present those both sides equally or give sorry, give weight to both sides yes. opposing views in a piece to create kind of times of, of either a consensual form of knowledge at the end of it certainly those are still things people should be aiming to do starting to see less of it but yeah, certainly something that should be aimed to um, so I'd always encourage them to do that. But I think also perhaps looking back, I know you mentioned Walter Cronkite, and a lot of yeah. people perhaps in, the, in perhaps the UK would talk perhaps say traditional, the traditional perhaps reporting of maybe of the BBC probably falls into that. But there always were um, assumptions, cultural, um, political assumptions being made within the news that was presented. Yeah. And I always think that perhaps but some of the ways I think often it was done was more perhaps by a way of, it wasn't necessarily how the stories were done. Um, because I think they did always try and do them in that kind of neutral way, but it was about what stories were chosen in the first place. Mm. And, and, so and I think I think there was an int- there was a slightly different approach to that. I think there was, um, which we actually we mentioned, mostly mentioned of course the Press Association, news mm. agency that still had a little bit of that's that still knocked around. I think a bit at the PA when we when we were there because it was like if a story didn't make the Daily Newswire. Which was a pretty comprehensive list. I mean, how many stories used to be on that? Oh like, God! I mean, just fifth, the, with fifty. I was going to say the video uh, list alone could have been, you know, twenty-five deep. Yeah, exactly. So it's probably seventy-five. Yeah, wasn't it? Probably the actual the actual main story list. So it could have had seventy-five um, stories a day, and there would always be. So ultimately, what made some of those stories, some other stories, not get on? So there was always, and I think certainly, certainly this, this, when there was less news, if you like, when there was like TV news bulletins, radio news bulletins, and that, like the big ones lasting half an hour, yes. a lot of stuff didn't get on. So a lot of decisions were made about what is to be reported. So there's still a commercial impetus on that because obviously yeah. the source has to sell it on to the outlets, yeah. right? Or license it out mm. to the outlets. So there's yeah. got to be merit in terms of what their viewers are looking for in the very first place, which mm. ultimately is going to shape like you said what gets yeah. on and what doesn't get on and i suppose yeah. also from a top line you know from an editor point of view from the people running mm. and deciding what gets on or gets binned yeah. there's going to be an intrinsic bias in some way shape or form with those individuals as well yeah it's unavoidable yes yes it's yeah, it, exactly. it, it, it's really crazy it's really crazy. and i think 
I think whereas it probably didn't matter so much, it wasn't matter, it was obviously mattered, I guess, in a, some kind of objective way, but what wasn't so um, clear cut, I think, so if you went back to, say, the 1970s or the 1980s, because people didn't know about a lot of the other stuff, and so yeah. therefore it was you weren't aware of it. Whereas now, all the other stuff is out there. And I think actually the last couple of days have been really interesting ones, because I think that uh, this morning on ITV got themselves into a bit of a bit of a mess with this because, ITV did yeah because uh, um, because the discussion in the newsroom now is you could see that they were battling over the 5G phone mask thing right and they did it in a, and they didn't in a particularly satisfactory way and I think they've, they, they've obviously tried to, tried to row back from a little bit from the way Eamon Holmes did the item on it I got you uh, yes that's right I remember yeah uh, he's been slated yeah. for that isn't he yeah um, and I, you can see how that kind of issue crops up in a way that it wouldn't have cropped up say 20 years ago which mm. is you'll say you're in you, like you're having a meeting about what to put in your program you're thinking well we've covered all these points so many of our viewers who engage with us on social media are talking about this 5g phone mask thing yes now do we just ignore it 20 years ago we'd have gone nah no, <laughs> no, not going there not going there yeah. right, let's leave that out. yeah let's yeah. leave that in the uh, Let's not um, leave that in the conspiracy theory, Ben. BBC editor talking about not, uh, not always wanting to uh, just because you've got a torch, don't always shine it in every corner or something. Yeah, good point. Um, and I think there's a little bit 20 years ago that would have probably happened. People would not have would have looked at it and thought, well, oh, no, this, this is cranks rules, so let's just leave it alone. Yes. Um, it clearly, you know, it's clearly not. It's just not true. So let's just not let's not go there. It's a bit yeah. like it's a bit like the cement. You don't even have to give it any bandwidth. You don't have to provide any thought into yes, that. It, you know, it's just exactly, obviously yeah. crazy. So let's just leave yeah. it for what it is. Yeah, yeah. Not so much now. So, no. <laughs> so of course they those they also try and engage with it. And so the trouble is, if you, as soon as you try and as soon as you'll be these things, you let the genie out of the bottle. It's very hard to get it back in again. Yeah, definitely. So, even if you say, well, this is all rubbish, this is nonsense, but here it is. As soon as you've done that, then you're starting to create, you're creating space for kind of a discuss, public discussion to take place. Uh, and then you've got to be careful about how that discussion goes. Well, absolutely. And, and what, you, what you, I think what you lead on to is also the potential for fake news coming in, which yeah. is pervading, you know, our discourse more and more every day. Right. Yeah. You've got like we've talked about already, we've mentioned the clickbait headlines that people are having to mm. sort of, you know, come down yeah. to that level of just in order to be, you know, competitive still mm. in the landscape. You've got, you know, mm. we talked about this on the last time we sat down mm. as well, which was the deep fake videos. Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that right now they're basically being used for comedy factor, but mm. they're getting much better even since the last time yeah. you and I sat down to yeah. the point where now what do you know what how can you how can you qualify what you're watching you know there's also yeah. these outside players that we've been hearing about for the past few years that are again very active on social media pitting one group against each other you know giving yeah. completely fake news about you know a political candidate or or a brexit mm. you know a political discussion or or, or yeah. issue right um I guess the question is, how the hell do you trust anything these days? Because mm. if you can't point to a news outlet that you can say, mm. you know, they're a beacon of, of, of truth, honesty, and integrity, or this journalist over here, I know that they're completely mm. on the level. Like, where does, like, where does that get us? Because the, the competition is such that they don't even seem really interested in it now. Because like mm. you said, you wouldn't have heard a TV presenter talking about 5G towers call, causing COVID-19 like mm. five years ago, it just would have been completely washed away as nonsense. Don't even think about it. Mm. But now it gets national attention, international attention. Yeah. So mm. if the news outlets aren't particularly interested in firing back on holding this integrity, mm. how do people trust at all what they're watching? Yeah, well, that's the difficult point. I think we're at a difficult place at the moment. And I think something that's and that's something that news organisations have wanted to do or, or tried to do is the idea that they can probably try and help guide people through through stuff. Yeah. Kind of be a trusted friend. But in some ways, I think they need to, if they're going to do that, they need to start behaving a bit better. Uh, they need to probably be prepared to lose 
audience in order to do Maintain it. And that's integrity. a difficult, yeah, that's a difficult um, conversation to have in a. But isn't it, it very it, very hamstrung? Yeah, and it, and doesn't it come down like you were saying there? Like I asked you about how you give advice to your students about this. Mm. Is yeah. the is the advice not similar to the general public? Because I speak about this on my podcast mm. quite yeah. a bit, and it's like it's actually on you guys to understand mm. that you have to break outside of those echo chambers. You have to look at both sides of the argument mm. and almost provide yourself a triangulation of of the stuff that I already believe, the stuff that I definitely don't agree with, and yeah. maybe that the truth is somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. And and Absolutely. doesn't a, a yeah. little bit more a little bit more effort by part on part of the audience to get that mm. right and to hold these yeah. media outlets to account. Yeah. That's what I think, anyways. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's one of the ways that how that you achieve it. Because you, when you were saying that, it just made me made me think of perhaps like very traditional journalism, so the kind of stuff that uh, was uh, still going on in the nineties, early nineties, when I got got into this, which mm. would be that really got the role. Certainly, because I worked in local news, the role of local reporter would be that you would be the one that would go to the local council meeting and you'd sit there for two and a half hours. Yeah. But most of it was uh, of very little interest to anybody that wasn't actually directly taking part in it. Sure. Um, so, and a lot of it was extremely dull and very procedural, but there would be a couple of things that were of general interest to the wider community that needed to be reported. And so the idea of, well, technically, anybody could go to sit in those meetings yeah. or anybody could go and come sit in a court case. But obviously, no people got jobs to do and also got lives to lead and better to pay some poor poor old soul will go and sit in there and do it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do it for you in this yeah but um and that's kind of how it used to work and so the trouble now is that everybody can sit in the council meeting if you like for a bit um or we'll share some information from somebody who might have or might not have <laughs> sat in the council meeting 100 and we're in a game and, of telephone yeah and so therefore perhaps there just needs to be some point where people will be prepared to trust or people, people, when you're looking through stuff online, you need to be, perhaps be a little bit savvier about thinking. Well, I, I'm not going to sit here and read the. I mean, I think a good personal example. I was very interested in all the rowing that's going on. that's come out over the weekend in the Labour Party about uh, did did actual party um, employees and officials, um, yeah. you know, act in a partisan way over the anti-Semitism investigation kind of stuff. Yes. So in some ways, I mean, you sort of think, well, actually, got, that's now been put online, so you could actually sit and read it. And I was, I mean, I must be hand on heart, as interested as I am. Do I really want to read it? Going through all that. Well, this is the whole um, thing, man. Read it, you know, but, uh, so therefore, you want people to read, maybe read it for you. Yeah. The danger is, of course, you can read um, two, certainly two people whose opinions I value a lot of as uh, reporters of read, reading their takes. And of course, they're both completely different. It's the it's yeah. the blue gold dress, mate. It depends yeah, on, it's you know, on yeah. what you see, yeah. you know, and yeah. And, and that's going to determine your your answer. Um, tell me, give me your give me your thoughts on on the COVID coverage then, like because obviously there is nothing else on the news. There's nothing else no. on television. There's nothing else in the newspapers. You know, nobody's really doing any investigative mm. journalists on this. From my point of view, it seems like nothing more than constant fear mongering. Um, yeah, I think you know. Do you think they should be doing a better job? Like hold well for one, holding the government to account in mm. terms of their actions across the whole yeah. thing, and do you think that they have a you know do you think that do you think that there's more of a responsibility on them to ask tougher questions, or do you think do you think they're just blowing over it so they can just pick out the worst bits of this stuff because that's what sells that's what keeps the viewership you don't hear many positive stories i mean we heard the you know that veteran that's walking around his yard mm. to raise money which is beautiful yeah. but that's yeah. one 2 minute segment out of a 24 yeah. hour cycle that just has that virus picture on it with a death toll yeah. going up mm. like yeah i mean it's it's i can kind of i think i can I'm, to be honest with you, I'm very glad I'm not having to report on it. Yeah, I, think, I bet to you be are. Honest. Um, because I think that one of the problems is that when you've got a thing like that's still going on, I think because it's a little bit like um, one of the, the dangers of it. It's a bit like, the, you know, as I said earlier about covering the early, the early stages of the Grenfell fire or the fire yeah. when it actually happened. It's often very difficult because everything is still going on and there's continual information coming around. Yes. Thoughts. very hard to pick a course through it. Sure. I think one of the things that has been 
I think has been wrong in the particularly in the UK uh, way that there's been coverage. I think that, and I think both sides. This has happened both sides. Mm. Um, it's become about politics and not become about public health. And I was surprised that it has always been, uh, and I know some other news organisations haven't been doing this, but on the whole, the people who've been dominating from the journalist side of the, uh, those press conferences have been political journalists. Yes. Now, they are not. They do not. not uh, they don't have a great... I mean, I'm sure they're, they're very bright people. I don't to denigrate them, but they're not uh, experts in medicine. No. Or not even experts in reporting on medicine. No. They don't... Uh, <coughs> so they're going to make mistakes and they're not going to understand nuance which is what ultimately was the, the key thing for an expert well you want to have an expert correspondence because they're going to understand the minutiae and the nuance of a story and so therefore be able to properly get at stuff and so all, all the conversations have been very much around and so we had this weird thing that political journalists are asking questions that are not being answered by health officials yes it's like, why yes. You know, like nobody's learning nobody's going to get a sensible picture Yes, the government not have helped by trying to treat this largely as a political thing by stonewalling a lot of stuff. Yes, they yeah. have. It was very interesting. I, when I, was, I, was, I read, I don't know if the grass always looks green in other countries, but when I read transcripts of what uh, President Macron said in France mm. at the weekend. That seems just a lot. That's all, you know, that's an attempt to. That was much more about we're all in this together, we're trying to find the best outcome yes. kind of approach, which kind of felt more actually felt more reassuring and believable than this kind of this kind of trying to bat stuff away, which then leads to the more complicated questions because they think if you ask a so you can see that the frontline reporters think if I ask a straight question, I'm gonna get it batted away. So if I ask something really complicated, they might I might catch them out. Yes. Then people say, Oh, this is like what you call gotcha questioning, which just seems to be a new thing. Right? About, but then if, if then but you want people to answer your questions or at least give some kind something away from the answer and if they're not going to answer it that's right um so it, i've just found it really depressing that there's just been no attempt to i think in some ways to take the, take the party politics out of it and actually present some more information a little bit more clearly i think it would have been much better if most of the briefings had been done by the uh, by the medical people leave yes. it to the ch chief medical officer let the chief medical officer do it and if the political qu if questions about political intent come out of that briefing then sort of leave it to the chief medical officer to say i think that's kind of that's slightly out of my sphere yes and then get have the politicians a couple of times a week answer those answer those, those roundups yeah yeah for sure take the politics out of it but don't make it about the politics every single day it doesn't have to be this endless changing guard of government ministers of um, frankly a very incompetence to handle Talk press to conferences oh, of, geez, of this of this of this magnitude and complexity a lot of them aren't it. that experienced politicians well this is the whole thing politicians. absolutely very obvious absolutely yeah. and the fact that they come out and try to placate the audience just by thanking everybody for half of the yeah. press conference every single time they come out it's like mm. no what we're actually thirsty for is like you were saying there real medical questions real medical answers mm. and then put the politics in a cluster let's have all yeah. three of you guys up there you mm. chancellor hancock rob whoever's going to yeah. be doing it let's have those guys together but keep them keep the medical folks together because mm. then we can laser focus on the questioning coming back on yeah. those questions and really hopefully getting some answers which like you said would take the par party politics out of it stick absolute mm. focus on this fact of it being you know uh, a, an international health crisis and mm. really try to drill down to the bottom of it because i just mm. feel like almost everything is a bad away answer at the moment mm. it's really no, it, it's really disappointing it's really disappointing yeah. um but i mean hey it could be worse it could be worse we could be we could be on the other side of the pond mate Yep. You know, um, I mean, wow. the, I mean, <laughs> we won't go into the election year and, and the implications yeah. of all that. But I, yeah. I presume you have seen some of this coverage of these uh, daily yeah. briefings that Trump's been holding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Like, I mean, it's just um, chaos. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, the thing is, it must be, it must be to live well. People, there must be enough people who are prepared for it to go along in this form for it to be allowed to go along in this this form, and so therefore, there must be people who genuinely see some advantage. See, these are people with power and authority that genuinely see the advantage in the confusion, definitely. Uh, because it's the only conclusion you can make, isn't it? Because if you look at it, you just think, wow, 
it you know, you really just do think and then like today I've just just said just before we started doing this, you mm. see that um, the latest thing is to talk is again another kind of you know dead cat stuck out there about defunding the World Health Organization exactly. in the middle of a go. And you think, well you kinda you kinda get the brute and it's very brutal politics of it. I kinda you kinda see the politics, but what really? <laughs> well I I, <laughs> you know, I, I, so I had this po- now the stakes are this high. Well that was it. I did a podcast yesterday where I just kinda yeah. did a roundup on the whole COVID yeah. coverage and, and all of that. Yeah. And I was talking about the WHO and how, you know, they're they seem to be sort of a pay for play organization and you know they kind yeah. of bend to the funding of the of to the to the most generous funder, right? I mean there was a there was yeah. a press conference with the chief. I don't know if you saw saw this but there was a the chief who guy um mm. someone asked him about how taiwan was doing so well with mm. their handling yeah, of containing it and he stumbled over mm. it and then tried to hang up mm. the call because obviously yeah. they're so heavily funded by china and china mm. doesn't recognize taiwan as an independent state so he yeah. didn't want to answer that because he didn't want to piss off his funders you know mm. so there is that brutal politics to it but i think I think that they have to exist in this level of confusion, especially over mm. there, because they they would rather it just be uh, a calamity show rather than mm. having to respond to direct questions about how badly they've screwed things up. Yeah. Mm. That's kind of how yeah. I take it. But, I mean, Trump's using no. this now as, as a propaganda mm. piece, as a propaganda yeah. tool. It's it's disgusting to me. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's really sad. And, again – that goes that goes to some of the things that we've already talked about today but yeah where, where do you see this coming out the other end jim do you have any thoughts on like kind of like i mean obviously you're not a medical expert i'm not a, i'm not a doctor <laughs> you know what i mean but like like what what are your thoughts on this do you think do you think that this is do you think this is as serious as everybody's making it do you think there's there is a bit of fear-mongering to i don't know maybe test public will to for some other reason or do you think it's just like you know, this is what it is. It's a virus. This is a warning shot, as Bill Gates said. This is almost like mm. a dress rehearsal for something that's definitely going to come again. Yeah, and we have to be ready for it. Yeah, uh, I have. I, I have no uh, knowledge to really say for. I'm about certainly about the nature of the virus. What I would do think. I think that there has been. I think there's been several kind of false alarms on this, hasn't there? And we've had certainly we've had. Um, we had um, avian flu, didn't we? We yep. had SARS and things like that. There's, there's always, yeah, there's always been this kind of potential for this to happen. Then how does the, then how is it dealt with? Um, how is it dealt with on an individual level, on a yeah. state and government level? So I think it's been interesting to see how it deals with it. And I think one of the interesting things, perhaps, I mean, I have no, I have no idea what the, how you deal with this, but no, me I think what you need, you need to have some kind of, what there needs to be some kind, what. What is a little bit kind of I don't know, frustrating a bit is that there's no notion of the obvious exit strategy. Yes. Not even one. I think everybody's so frightened of not being able to achieve it. Nobody wants to really say, which isn't which is where the politics comes in. This maybe is the where whole the politics, politics thing. To be, exactly. To be taken out. Yeah. Um, but then there's always. I suppose there's always going to. I suppose it's been interesting to see that a lot of international cooperation with countries has started to break down you know mm. i think i i think probably the world health organization's been more of a victim of that than probably necessarily an aggressor or like the, the problem yes. so i must admit i don't think i think that if you've got a situation where ultimately these these are sovereign countries that the um world health organization hasn't got any kind of power or authority no they can advise they country. can advise so therefore therefore if you if you have to especially i would i felt rather so i've felt personally a bit sorry for them about the attacks from china because i thought well over china because i thought if you're in charge of the world health um if you're in that position you think well we need to get and find we need to find out as much as we can about this thing and therefore, we are go- we are going to, to a large part, have to dance to the tune of the government of the country where the virus is, because a bit of access is better than no access at all. Great point. And and I certainly think that there's been I think there's been quite a bit of that going on, and I think that's and I think some some of the attacks don't really take that into consideration. Yeah, that's a because great point. Because I, I do think that certainly some of the people I see on social media are sort of saying, well, it's in the you know been in the pocket of China. And I could imagine if uh, the World Health Organization, if it started in the UK and it rocked up in Britain, were demanding access to this, that, <laughs> yeah. and zero. Do we, how very dare they? Yes, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it, it's a completely valid <laughs> yeah. point. It's a completely valid yeah. point. I think, so, you know, I, I think with the with the WHO, and I mean, you know, I'd be speaking out of turn if I had 
pretended to have any expertise on it. And I'm mm. just, again, trying to do mm. my best to triangulate the news yeah, stories sure. that I'm reading. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I know the U.S. is a 15% of their total kind of funding. I know China's a lot yeah. more than that. Um, and all you can do is mm. see what you see with your eyes when, when you see these folks mm. operating. But absolutely take your point about, you mm. know, you know, some access is better than no access. And a, a, a yeah. little bit of application has to help, you know, get yeah. that done. Then, then it's completely understandable mm. in the, you know, with the magnitude mm. of what we're dealing with now, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I think it's a really good point. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I do think it's interesting to see where, what will the world look like when we come out the other side? I well, that, that was what I called my, that was what yeah. I called my episode last night. I called it yeah. B, BCAC before COVID and after COVID, <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. I think there will be some fundamental changes that people start to enact in their lives as yeah. a result of this. What, what that looks like on a wider scale or more long term, yeah. who knows? But I know for sure that we've already made some structural changes in this house in terms yeah. of how we do things. Um, mm. And I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not at all fully comfortable with just now riding the tube every day stuck no. in someone's armpit. Mm. whilst that person might be wiping their nose, grabbing a handrail, putting it, you know what I mean? Like all this yeah, nonsense yeah, yeah. that you see every single day, it's just not yeah. on anymore, you know? So there's going to yeah. be, there's going to have to be some other things that, mm. that come in to, to, to play with the regular sort of day-to-day -day operations of life. I mean, remote working and living our, living our lives through video calls is definitely going to be something yeah. that's going to rise drastically, you know, but mm. who knows? It's, um, I'm just hoping that I'm, I'm hoping that, we can see sort of a bend of this curve, like some, some of the other kind of European countries are, are maybe starting to see now. Mm. And if we can just hold on and, and people can, you know, put their selfishness aside for a little longer mm. and just stay out of the way, then hopefully we'll yeah. be on track for that as well. So mm. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Listen, I want to do one more thing. I didn't yeah. do this when we last talked. Yeah. Now, I do this with every single conversation that I have. All right. Yeah. It's um, it's something that was based on a TV show um, called Inside the Actor's Studio. Okay. It was an American right. show out of New York University, the yeah. uh, the acting university. Um, there was a host, James Lipton, and he used to ask something called a Pivo questionnaire that was based off of a French broadcaster in the seventies. Okay. It's ten questions. Mm. The idea is to answer them without putting any thought into them, just whatever comes to mind, all right? Yeah. They're not salacious. They're not going to put you out on, on Front Street, and they're not going <laughs> to ruin your credibility. So just have fun with it because yeah. this TV show had every single actor you can think of run through these questions, Al Pacino, yeah. everybody, right? So yeah. I just right. like to do it because it's a fun little personality exercise, yeah, sure. right? So right. I'm just going to read them out. You give me yeah. the answer, and then I'll move on, and we'll finish on right, this, okay. all right? Yeah, right, fine. Cool. What's your favorite word? Embrace. What's your least favorite word? Fear. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Novelty. Novelty. New ideas. Oh. What turns you off? Repetition. Hmm. What's your favorite curse word? I like cockwomble at the moment. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a first. <laughs> what, what sound or noise do you love? Bird song. Hmm. What sound or noise do you hate? Police sirens. Hmm. What profession, other than your own and those that you've already done, would you love to attempt? Maybe lawyer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. What profession would you absolutely not want to do? Minor. Fair enough. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you roll up on the pearly gates? Thank God you got here. 
Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't get over city. Favorite city, obviously. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, listen, Jim. Should we thank me? You're here, actually. You thank me? You're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of fun at the end. Um, yeah. Listen, always good to talk to you, mate. And you. I really appreciate your time. I'm glad you guys are staying safe over there. Keep doing that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always good to talk to you. And you. No, thanks very much. I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon, all right? Cheers. Yeah, take care. Take care, buddy.